welcome back to the Whitehawk Periodical Podcast. As promised, I told you on Tuesday that this was going to happen, and I love it when a plan comes together because Chris Peters is joining us, one of the best when it comes to talking about young players' drafts and all of the bits of hockey that the most of us do not watch and uh, unfortunately couldn't watch because of the pandemic this year. Welcome, Chris. How are you doing? I am doing well. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's a pleasure. I'm excited. We, we always love talking with people who know a bunch about draft, of course, and young players. You know that it's a big thing if you listen to Y Hockey for a long time. Chris, of course, has his own Substack. used to work for ESPN. I have to ask just briefly because this is something that's been in my head. Uh, so, unfortunately, you're part of the ESPN layoffs, and your last day was, I believe, in early February. Then a month later, ESPN says, hi, we're getting the NHL rights again. <laughs> was that awkward? Uh, a little. Yeah, it was It was a little bit tough. I mean, like, you know, we've, we've been talking about that for uh, for years. You know, I was at ESPN for three years, um, first as a freelancer and then, you know, full-time. And so, yeah, so that was, uh, that was a tough one. Uh, <laughs> You know, I, I, I have no idea what that means for the future of, of their web coverage, but, you know, hopefully there's uh, that means that there will be more writers there and, and, you know, Greg and Emily do a great job and it was really fun to be part of that team. And yeah, so when that announcement came through, I was, you know, excited as a hockey fan, but certainly it was bittersweet knowing that, you know, I could have been part of that celebration, um, you know, and, and, and just how much we wanted it to happen. So, uh, but I think, you know, overall, it's a good thing for hockey. I think it's a good thing for ESPN. Um, and, and we'll see what that means going forward for, for them. And I guess for me too, I have no idea. Well, um, I figured but, because yeah. ESPN loves to cover a draft, you know, they love drafts. We, we know this. I don't know whether ESPN is going to actually show the draft. We, I don't know. I, I try to be John Arand sometimes, low rent John Arand, dollar store John Arand. But I don't remember seeing anything about the draft. But if ESPN does cover it, I mean – you would hope that they cover it in some way like they cover the NFL and the NBA. Obviously, it's not the same as those two drafts, but, you know, I think about the NHL draft. We love it. I, we, you've been to a million of them. I've been to a couple. They're some of the best events the NHL puts on. I mean, the NHL did the Traveling Roadshow draft way before the NFL got into it. You know, mm-hmm. we, it, it goes everywhere around North America, and it's a ton of fun. So I always wonder in the back of my head, what would ESPN, how would ESPN cover the NHL draft? You know, yeah, I, 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 hope they, I, hope they get, I hope they get a chance to see it, perhaps. Yeah, I, I, I hope so, too. I, I, I wonder as well. And, yeah, I was always looking for that. I mean, I think there's been some unspecified events that, you know, that one that they will definitely have is the All-Star Game or All-Star Weekend, uh, at least the skills competition. And, and uh, you know, so I think there's, there's, there's room for, you know, potential expansion uh, there as well. I mean, I think until they have another rights holder that has certain elements, uh, we'll have to wait and see. But, um, yeah, you know, I think one of the cool things that did happen, though, in uh, in the years, you know, after TSN had lost the draft rights, you know, NBC started doing some of their own draft coverage. So now we got Bob McKenzie in the U.S. and, um, you know, Craig Button would come down. So, like, that was actually, uh, you know, an, an improvement. And I think, you know, based on the way that ESPN does everything, if they did get the draft, I think that would take things to another level, Um just because of the production value and the experience that they have at running those kind of events. And, uh, you know, certainly the, the, the people that they could potentially bring in to uh, provide analysis. I mean, they could bring in Bob McKenzie too. There's a 20% ownership thing going on. They could, they could do that too. Sure. Sure. As much as I want to, we'll focus on the future uh, a little bit later. Uh, Of course, as we have you, I have to talk primarily first, this is of course a Panthers podcast about Spencer Knight. There is not a more, intriguing developmental prospect for the Panthers than him. He just finished another year at Boston College, and now he's, well, 
taxi squad, he's getting an idea of what life is like in the NHL because the Panthers don't have an AHL team at this moment in time. I'd be convinced if they had an AHL team, he'd be starting for it, but that doesn't happen because the pandemic screwed everything up. So just in your mind about Spencer Knight, we go back to when he was drafted. It was really a big deal because nobody drafted goalies that high for about a decade. And now we've seen it that draft, this past one, and we could see it in this one too. Uh, But in terms of Spencer Knight, where he is now, uh, how do you evaluate his game two years at Boston College now making the jump to the pros? I mean, I think it's it's just been one of consistency, one of one of uh, of growth, and just continuing to get continuing to gain experience. I think when you have such a good foundation of skills as, as Spencer Knight does, and you think the game at such a high level as he does, um, you know, you want to just get the reps in. I think that's really the thing that that you know, there's not a ton of refinement that has to be done. There's not a ton of of things that uh, that you kind of have to tweak or anything like that. It's more just him getting the reps. And, and that's the most important thing for a goaltender is, is to get shots, see shots. I mean, he, he played a ton for Boston college over the last two years. And he played for the U S at the world juniors and he's had high level experience, you know, getting that world junior championship win was a, was a big, bad, big boost to him, you know, just to, to prove that he could be that big game goaltender and, and come through in the clutch and, you know, to, to shut out teams the way that he did, to, to fully dominate as that U.S. team ended up doing after a bit of a slow start, including one from, you know, a tough start for Spencer Knight against Russia. Um, he, he's, he's kind of answered a lot of the questions that we had. So now it's just gaining experience and gaining that opportunity. Now, ideally, he would already be getting reps in the AHL right now. I mean, and, we, and I wondered for a bit if he was going to sign uh, right away because of the, the lack of the the AHL uh, option, you know, I mean, he certainly could still loan him out somewhere um, if, if it comes down to it. But I think there's also a benefit to him experiencing the NHL, getting to work with uh, you know, the goaltending people with the Panthers and, and getting, you know, seeing NHL shots at practice and things of that nature, I, I think are important, but yeah, I mean, it, it, for him, it's not necessarily, um, you know, what, can he do this? Can he do that? He kind of can already do all that stuff. It's just a matter of, for him, I think, just getting the reps and getting getting the opportunity to gain the experience necessary to be a starting goaltender at the next level. So Tommy was talking about, my co-host, about he didn't like the way that the tournament ended for him. It's a couple games, whatever have you. And I remember watching that first game against Russia and going, uh-oh, not this again. <laughs> because I don't think it was the best 2020 World Juniors, if my memory serves, it's a million years ago and before the pandemic, so I don't entirely remember. But, you know, he's, he's definitely capable of it. Do you think that this was the right time to make the jump? I remember hearing somebody say, I think it was Jeff Merrick said it on, on 31 Thoughts, it's like, you don't want him seeing college shots for too long. He needs to see pro shots. And that might be why he jumped now. Because I thought maybe because of the pandemic screwing everything up that another year of college wouldn't entirely kill him. But obviously he's one of the you know, more highly touted prospects to come out of college, he kind of can dictate what he wants. So do you think that this timeline is the right timeline for him? I do. I mean, I think I, I wouldn't, I don't think it would have been a problem if he stayed another year at BC just for some certainty and some consistency. And they have a, a phenomenal assistant coach there who's also uh, works with their goalies, Mike Ayers, who was there and, and, you know, could definitely like, that's a guy that you want to be working with. He worked with Thatcher Demko as well. Um, you know, that, that's a guy that you, you can kind of trust in, in a lot of different situations. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think that if, if we were in a normal year, I wouldn't have flinched at all. You know, I think that that, that 
Spencer has done kind of all that he can do. And he did not have a great end to the season. Really struggled in the Hockey East uh, semifinal. Really struggled in the uh, in the game um, against uh, in the game that they had in, in the in the regional. Um, they didn't. They were supposed to play Notre Dame in the first round. That didn't happen because Notre Dame was out. And then they ended up playing UMass, who who won the whole thing and and just uh, you know was was just better um, at that point. So um, yeah, so it's it's just kind of a, a crazy. Uh, a crazy thing here with with the the pandemic where you're just like gosh you know he really could go either way but I think he was ready to make the jump to the pros he's a very mature individual he's a very smart and thoughtful person um, and, and really a student of the game and I think the opportunity to work with you know the, the what the Panthers have set up in terms of their goaltending excellence department and to work with them on a daily basis as opposed to over the phone or over zoom or whatever else is going to be beneficial. I mean, really it is, it is the position that you just continue to develop at and it's, it's never in a straight line, but I'm not really concerned about the, you know, a few bad games because in his college career, the bad games were very, very far, uh, far between typically um, just happened to have a, a couple of tough ones at the wrong time. Uh, when I think most of the BC roster was just kind of like, ready to get the season over it felt like at, at, at the end of the year there and i want to get to evaluating some of these prospects later when we talk about 2021 because this has the potential to be just an in, completely insane draft that makes no sense since the draft is always a, a crapshoot this is year more than ever uh, so you really do think not having an ahl team that they control matters because that was something when when we were talking about spencer not i brought up like you can't really play him with the coaches from the tampa bay lightning it's Syracuse, and that's why I was a little – I was wondering, like, is he going to make the jump? Because, you know, you can't loan him out anywhere. I mean, the Panthers coaching staff is with the crunch, but that's not their guys. You know, their guys are all in Florida right now because the checkers didn't play. So you really think it kind of – it does matter a little bit. And that was my big thought because if they had the actual checkers this year, then I, I would have agreed with you. He would have just jumped right into the AHL, but that's just not feasible. And I also don't think – the, the Panthers have said maybe he plays a game, but if they're still competing to try to win the top spot in the Central, I can't imagine they do that. Yeah, it's a tough situation to put him in. I mean, I think it'd be it'd be interesting to see how he fared, um, you know. But I, I don't think you're trying to experiment at this stage of the season, and and definitely not having team control of of lineups and things like that. That's I mean, that's the key factor there. Um, is you know you don't have the coach make the lineups and, and usually obviously the NHL team is dictating who's getting in for you know the you know the checkers and if, if, if they were playing you know so that's that's kind of part of the whole process there and then just yeah I mean just for him whether or not he plays any more games this year is kind of irrelevant I, I don't think that it's you know it would be nice to get him some pro reps but I think that he's got to spend almost all of if not the entire season next year in the AHL and needs to get those needs to start, you know, every, every couple of games or every third game or whatever, you know, like he needs to, they need to make sure that they're doing this right. And, and, and giving him a lot of minutes or building throughout the season. Um, and, and the, as, as we've seen with a lot of goaltenders, I mean, the AHL can be a really difficult league for a goalie. You're not having the same quality of defense, not always having the same quality of, of, of shots either, but you're playing at a pro pace and that really, makes things a little more challenging. So I think that's what, you you know, you kind of wait to see. So, you know, I think that for all the development that he got this year, I, I mean, I think he got about as much as he possibly could. And 
if whether or not he gets reps now is less important about than what happens next season. We hope that next season is as normal as it can possibly be for both the NHL, AHL, and, and all other leagues. But it's just going to come down for him to, uh, you know, when the time comes, getting those opportunities. Because obviously with the contract situation for Bobrovsky, um, there's not necessarily a rush. And I don't think you want Spencer Knight in a situation where he's just, you know, backing up or even in a tandem situation without enough time in the AHL to really get revved up and, and move on to, uh, you know, at, at least have some, some pro experience before moving on to the NHL on a full-time basis. Well, based on what Bill Zito has done with goalies in Columbus, I, I don't think that's going to be the issue. And I think more people made the Bobrovsky thing a bigger thing than it actually was because at some point Bobrovsky was just not going to be playing when Spencer Knight was developed anyway, and that was going to be down the line regardless of the contract situation. I didn't think the two were as linked as people thought they were, although some people did seem to think that Knight might not sign because Bobrovsky was signed about two weeks later. I still never, and that didn't make sense to me because I thought that those two were always never linked because one is a GM in a desperate situation trying to win, and the other is this is a prospect that is as good as any other, just so happens he's a goalie. That's, yeah. that's how I viewed it personally. Yeah, I mean, I, I, thought, it was, I thought it was nuts at the time. <laughs> you know, like I was like, I didn't, it didn't make any sense to me. Um, and not the, the thing about the, you know, the free agency thing or the possibility for that, I mean, I don't think that, that was ever really something that Spencer considered, but it's always a weapon in your toolbox for leverage, you know, especially at this point to say, Hey, you know, I can go back to school for another year and then I'm a year closer to free agency. You know, you, you start getting things from the team that, that, you know, you kind of need some assurances and things of that nature. You get things become a little more clear when you have that amount of leverage. So I think that was really the main part of that, that whole deal. But I mean, I, I just think, you know, I agree. Like Dale Talon's decisions at the time were not tied together um, you know, picking Spencer Knight and then signing Sergey Bobrovsky. But at the same time, the, in, a, in a flat salary cap situation, when you have a contract that you're not going to be able to move, you know, it, it, it makes it just does, it, it doesn't make a necessarily clear path for Spencer Knight uh, to to go through there. But at the same time, you know, I think that there is there is going to be the potential for, you know, especially as Sergey Bobrovsky is winding down his career, that it's going to be more of a tandem situation anyway. Um, and, and then you're, you know, by that point, Knight will be ready to take on, you know, more starts, but man, it's a tough, that's just, it's still a contract that I think will, will haunt the organization. Um, you know, just, just in the terms of, of, of the length and, and the flat cap and everything else. Well, uh, so unfortunately Dale Talon was not a future reader, a psychic, cause he could not have seen a global crushing pandemic that destroyed everything. <laughs> that, that's he, true. He's, you know, I've it's criticized a him a lot it's for a, a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a good contract regardless. Yeah. I knew why it happened. But yeah. I mean, for all the things that he's not good at, I'm not going to blame him for not being a psychic at seeing a global pandemic destroying the world. I can't yeah, really blame yeah. him for But that. it's still, it's flat cap or no flat cap. It's a terrible Oh, I, 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 yeah. I, I know. But I, I'm not worried about Spencer Knight because Chris Drieger is playing. And, Chris <laughs> and I mean, people yeah. think he's be I mean, that's another kid of the fish that we'll get to later. Another college player that left college and jumped right into the NHL, at least temporarily, was, was Matt Kierstead. And I do mm -hmm. not follow as much college hockey as I probably should. And he drops in out of the sky, and Joel Quenville played him a fair bit now that they've gone back to six defensemen and they added Brandon Montour. The likelihood of him playing is down a little bit. But what did you think of him and getting to play almost immediately and in some decent minutes? Yeah, he was the only college free agent on the market this year that I thought was going to be a guy that could actually help a team 
um, immediately. And, and so I wasn't as surprised, you know, I was certainly surprised that, you know, he was able to jump into a contending team and, and get into the lineup. And I mean, what, by his third game, he played over 20 minutes, you know, so, so that was uh, pretty impressive. And I think he's just such a smart player. He keeps things simple. You know, I watched him all year this year, knowing that he was going to be the top college free agent. And I think it's a huge win for the, for the Panthers to have gotten them because they're, you know, it's, it's a cheap contract. It's something, you know, kind of, you, you find a guy that's going to fill out depth. Is he going to be a top four guy? I mean, if he, if everything goes right, yes. But if, even if he's a five or a six, even on a free agent deal, I mean, that's pretty darn good. So I, I think that that's, you know, he can play in a variety of roles. He has offensive abilities. He's always reliable defensively and he's a really good skater. So, you know, I think that, that that's going to be a guy that really helps them, you know, when you need to dip into your depth in the playoffs. You know, and the, the nice thing is, is that the trade, you know, getting him signed before the trade deadline allows him to be eligible for the playoffs. And so, you know, that's in a normal year, that's usually diff, not going to happen. Um, you know, I think the last time it happened was during the 2012-13 the lockout. And, you know, I think Danny DeKaiser ended up playing for the Red Wings in those playoffs that year. So it's it's really uh, an interesting kind of situation that they're in where now you've got, obviously, adding Montour is going to be helpful, but you've got Kierstead, who you are starting to trust a little bit more. I mean, the fact that Joel Quenville is playing a guy who just walked into the league, you know, giving him that amount of playing time off the bat is pretty impressive um, regardless. I mean, it's, it, it takes a while to gain Quenville's trust, and I think he's done that really quickly um and, and so now you know what you have when you're down to the depth and you're dealing with injuries and you're dealing with anything else when you get to the playoffs so i think he's going to be a, a really good player this year and i think he's going to be even better the more experience he gets because he he really grew his game over the course of four years at, at north dakota well it's it's one thing for me because the panthers obviously never signed price college free agents that's number one but number two it also shows you that i don't think there's a lot of trust in the defenseman in the organization between bill zito and joel quenville i mean gustav forsley was claimed off waivers and he's playing top two minutes at this point some of that's right. injury related but like it shows you that there it was again not a ton of trust in the defenseman in the organization and that bill zito could say yeah you are going to play right away joel quenville's gonna like you i mean he's not <laughs> he didn't play tuesday he's probably not playing tonight but i mean well, when we record this, it's, it's the Thursday of that Panthers-Lightning game. But it's, it's fascinating to me to see that something that the Panthers never do in general, and then they do it. And it was kind of like, well, wait, how did this work? He's playing with Radko Gudis. I'm confused. And he does, and it seems like that's kind of what Bill Zito looks for in many ways from the scouting uh, area is he likes very smart players and players who just simplify the game and keep things simple. They don't want to overcomplicate it. You know, that seems to something that when you look at his 2020, his first draft for the Panthers, that's kind of what he, he tried to make his stand with. And it looks like he's done a pretty good job with it because, again, signing Kierstead, you can see that trend developing. Yeah, for sure. You know, and this actually goes back to when he was an agent. I mean, like Brian Rafalski and, and you know, you had yeah. Brian Rafalski and Tim Thomas. And, like, you know, so he was finding guys. He was always good about finding value. Um, in undervalued players. And, and so that's kind of just a, his, his whole track record, which I think, you know, I have great respect for, for his career. And I was always such a, you know, a, a fan of the hire of bringing in Bill Zito. But I think that the other thing that it speaks to is when you're recruiting against all the other teams, being competitive now helps. But the, the biggest thing that college free agents are looking for is the opportunity. And clearly that was something that was 
was made very clear is like, hey, you know, we've got injuries. You're going to play. We're going to, you know, we might, you'll be on our playoff roster, like all those different things. And so that helps you land a player. But at the same time, you know, the player has to perform. And I think, you know, they did a really nice job with kind of building Kirstead up over time, throwing him right into the fire because he's a guy that's played a whole season. Uh, but, you know, in the college schedule can be a little bit more forgiving on the body. And so he's he's able to play. And then, yeah, now now all of a sudden you've got a, an additional prospect in a system that didn't have a ton of defensive depth um, that, that, you know, has certainly is going to continue to need that. They've got some some decent players kind of in and around. But but I think Kirstead is one of those top defensive guys that you can bring in and, and really help boost your 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 prospect pool in a way that a lot of college free agents don't and, and so i think that that was that was a huge uh recruiting coup both because of the opportunity but i think also being competitive and 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 giving him an opportunity really helped absolutely i want to talk about one other college guy that's now no longer with the panthers organization and that's uh, henrik forkstrom before we start talking about um, 2021 uh you know he played at denver and i know obviously i even watched some of his games at denver and you're like wow this guy has everything you'd want in a potential top six forward. The skill is off the charts. And then his development cratered. A lot of that has to do with the Panthers, um, who he was drafted by, who tried developing him, how they tried developing him, or lack thereof. And then the situation just was untenable, and now he, he's gone. Do you think he's got a chance with the Blackhawks? Because you, you wonder, and I wonder, as somebody who, who really was hoping that he would, he would hit, and he never did, like, has the ship sailed on that, or did the Blackhawks have a chance that the Panthers never had with him? You know, he's he's still younger, and the Blackhawks have had a knack for getting, <laughs> kind of helping guys re, re, recover their careers. I mean, Dylan Strom, was, he's, he's not an elite player. He's, not, he's never going to live up to his draft stock. But, I mean, the first year the Blackhawks got him, he, he was a 70-point player, and you know, I think that they have the skill, the type of skill players that you need to surround Borgstrom with. They have guys that, you know, can help him. I think they're going to have an opportunity to play at the NHL level. Um, you know, that's that's important as well. Um, we didn't really get a chance to see how much or, or not enough improvement Alex Nylander had. Uh, you know, they, they've kind of found a, a gem in Kubalik where, you know, it was a, a guy that, that L.A. wasn't going to end up signing and then, here he comes, and he's you know thirty goal, thirty goal rookie. Um, so they have that that bit of track record, which I think gives them the benefit of the doubt. I think they're they're an organization that is refocused on development in these kind of rebuilding years. Um, you know, bringing Jeremy Colleton up to the to the NHL team. You know, he was doing a fine job in Rockford there. Uh, so you know, I I think, but I still think there's an emphasis on that. So maybe there's a chance to get Borgstrom some reps in Rockford, but I, I don't know. I think, I think they believe in his, his upside still, he's still young enough. Is it, you know, is it going to be, are, are we going to see the guy that, that was a 50 point scorer in college hockey? I, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, but can he be a serviceable NHL player? I absolutely believe he can. And yeah, I think over the years, it was very puzzling to me. You know, I, I think the development situation was what it was you know i think he didn't really endear himself much to, to bob bugner and you know didn't didn't get out didn't endear himself to me or my co-host or many panthers fans i do have <laughs> to say that for, for the record we criticized him a, a fair bit on this show we also criticized a fair bit their ahl development and who knows yeah. what it would have looked like this year because they don't have any but right you know right we, if you've listened to why hockey long enough you know that that's where we stand on that and <laughs> it was 
it was frustrating, but I mean, this year I kind of give them a mulligan because they had no choice, but right. the Borgstrom thing always seemed untenable. And I think one thing that, you know, when you have a new GM coming in, you have a chance to maybe re- re- reclaim that relationship, but if not, he's going to move on. And I don't think getting rid of Borgstrom is going to hurt the Panthers because, I mean, no. Now, no. now they have Anton Lindell, and I mean, that's kind of what Borgstrom was supposed to be in some ways. I think you're right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and uh, I, I just briefly on thoughts on him, I, before we get to 2021, I mean, I've never heard my co-host happier with a draft pick <laughs> since we started doing this show that when they drafted Lindell, he, he likes players from Europe quite a bit. Uh, he is something very, very special. And I, I, the first time I saw him was at the World Juniors, and you're going, boy, how did he fall to 12? That doesn't yeah. make sense. That's, yeah. a, that's a great accident that happened here. Yeah, I think they're lucky that he, uh, you know, had dealt with injuries throughout much of uh, much of the draft season, where you know he missed the World Juniors that year. And you know, I think I've been following him for a while. He he he'd been part of the Finnish, um, you know, the Finnish system for a while. Played in the under eighteen Worlds as a underager. You know, played in the World Juniors as an underager. Got you know has has gold medals all over the place right now. And, you know, I think in general, what, what the, what the, what the Panthers got in him is a guy that, that is going to be a great number two to, to Barkov for as long as Barkov is, is there because Lundell plays so smart. He's one, he was one of the smartest players in the last draft. And I think that we've seen that manifest itself this year as he's taken the next step as a professional. Now, obviously he hasn't played, as many games we, you know, he's, he's been, uh, he's been out, but he is a really uh, smart hockey player. Then you attach that to his skill. You attach that to the size and the strength that he's tacked on over these last couple of years. Um, and, and he's just such a smart player that he, you know, that that's going to find its way to translating. Now he's not, he's not always super flashy. He's not always super, you know, flash and dash and doesn't do a lot of things that make you jump out of your seat, but he's just super efficient and effective. And so I, I really, I've always liked his game. Um, I thought that was really good value. I think that, you know, that was around the range that I had him as well, uh, just because I thought that the skill level at the very top of the last draft. And so the upside of some of the players, you know, I understood why he, he dropped a little bit uh, based on the expectations he had coming into the season. But, you know, this year he's looked more like the guy that we thought, he was going to be going into last season before, uh, you know, injuries and everything else kind of took their toll. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about his prospects. And I think that, that the Panthers are going to love him uh, just as much as they love some of their other uh, top end forwards. Cause I think he's going to be in that mix very soon. You don't need to be flashy when you have Barkov playing ahead of you. you that's you true. Don't have to be. And, and that's why, and that's one of the things like, and I always, I've thought like for the Panthers, you can draft guys who you don't need the super high end, because you have that already. You have the guys who can, quote-unquote, protect them. And that's and also, I always think drafting guys for Finland is great because you have Sasha Barkov there. And I, I, it was just it was one of those picks where everything came together so nicely. And it was very fun to watch Panthers fans universally say, wait, this is good. That never yeah. happens. Um, let's focus now on 2021. And this is almost an impossible draft to figure out because of COVID, obviously. I mean, college hockey, stop-start. USHL, stop-start. CHL, it's barely played if it's even played. It doesn't feel like it has. Professional leagues in Europe, stop-start. Is this the toughest draft to evaluate because, like, for most of these guys, they really haven't played? Yeah, I mean, it is. It is. It, it, it's been very difficult. I mean, you know, most of the work that normally in a, in a, in a normal year, 
in my old job, I would have, you know, been to Ontario twice and been to the world juniors and been to, um, everywhere else I will be going to the, uh, I've gone to some USHL games this year. They've played uh, more than just about anybody. I think that's going to be a very strong draft for the USHL as a result. Um, you know, I will be going to the world under 18 championship in a couple weeks in Texas, which is suddenly the biggest draft event of the season by a mile. Uh, we've had, you know, only one prospects game with, with the all American game that was played a week ago, which was kind of, I didn't think it was a very good evaluation event. Uh, so it's kind of a wash for me. Um, but you know, we're, we're, we're all working off a of video, you know, there, there have been a lot of building bans. Obviously the guys that are based in Ontario can't really go anywhere. Um, the WHL is off the ground and we're going to get enough games in there where I think players are going to be able to build cases for themselves. Uh, the QMJHL has been really tough. I think that's been the toughest league for me to evaluate because I just don't know how much stock to put into game X versus game Y because they came a month apart, you know, even though they're the back to back on the, on the schedule, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, how players performed and, you know, you don't know who's tested positive and all those things are in your mind when you're looking at these players. So you can really only go off of what you see and, and which is how it always is, but it's just, you're not seeing as much this year. So I think that what you're going to find over the next several weeks, as many of us put out our, our most recent draft rankings and all those other things is it's going to be all over the map. Um, we're all going to have different opinions and, uh, you know, things kind of start to, to tighten up to, as you, as you approach a draft. And I think that'll happen again this year, but it's just going to take longer to get there. Um, because there's really not much consensus and that starts at number one and it goes all the way through. Uh, there's really not a whole lot of, uh, of players out there that people are like, yep, that guy is for sure the number one prospect or that guy is for sure a first rounder. Um, it, it's really difficult to, uh, to, to sort that all out this year. There's two parts to this equation I want to get to, and the first of which is my co-host always talks about why he likes the players from Europe is because they play professional games, and that's different, obviously, to anybody over here in North America, and that's why if you follow Y-Hockey's draft rankings, there's a lot of Swedes and Finns up there, and they've played more, and they've played in a professional environment. Does that give them an advantage in this draft that they might not have in a normal draft, or is it still a wash because they're dealing with the same COVID issues? Yeah, it, I think it, it helps. Any player that's gotten, you know, 20 or more games in is, is going to be at an advantage, regardless of what level they're at, because there are kids sitting at home right now that should be playing in the OHL that have nowhere to play and, and didn't. A lot of Canadian kids ended up going to Europe as well to play professionally. I mean, they were and they were all over the map. They were in Slovakia, Slovenia, Finland, Sweden, you know, wherever they could find the team that would let them play a lot of Swiss, uh, Swiss as well. So I think that that's been interesting to kind of follow and, and watching North American players make that transition and go over there. And some of them did very well and some of them uh, didn't, or some of them played in the, in the junior leagues, which aren't as, as high of a quality compared to the, the Canadian hockey leagues that they've been playing in. So it's, it's, you know, you're just kind of judging off of all that stuff. So it's important to understand the context of all that. But I think basically that one of the reasons that I think it's going to be a big year for the USHL is, you know, they, they don't have necessarily a ton of super high-end first-round locks, but I think that we're going to see a lot of USHL players in the second and third rounds because though it, it, it matters the most for those middle-tier guys. It matters the most because those are the guys that you have to say, is this guy an NHL player or not? 
And that's the decision you're ultimately making, not is this guy going to be a star or is he going to be just an everyday NHLer? You know, these are, is this guy going to make it? And you're going to make, you're going to have a better sense of that when you're looking at more games and seeing them play a, a more normal schedule. You know, I mean, even looking at the WHL guys this year, they're going to get about 24 games in. It's not the same as a regular WHL schedule. So you can't necessarily say, oh, wow, this guy had unprecedented production, but he played the same five teams all year. And they, they, they traveled by bus. It was, you know, and it wasn't the long bus trips that, that are kind of part of the WHL grind. So, you, you know, it's hard to actually judge production and things like that. So, but I think, you know, in a general sense, get I'm a little off the rails from the original question, but, but I think that, uh, you know, the, the European players that have been able to play consistently and really the Russians are the only ones that have, have kind of played all the way through and not had many stops or pauses. Because they don't care about COVID in Russia. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't a, exist. A little bit well, of what is this virus you, you talk about here? <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, but but at the same time, you're like, okay, well, the, we're we're getting a pretty good body of work on the Russian kids. We're getting a pretty pretty decent body of work on the on the Swedish kids. You know, the Swedish junior league shut down, so you know more of those guys got called up to the pros or got loaned out to various places. So yeah, so I think any so again, it's just a long way. All of that is a long way of saying. As long as they were playing, they're they they're going to be fine. <laughs> it's the kids that that have not been able to play this year that I I really wonder about and how much you have to lean on old data on them. So my other question that my co-host wanted to to focus on before we get into specific players is like, is this a draft where somebody's going to come away in four years or three years and you're going to go, holy crap, what a haul! How did he do that? Is it just luck or is it? a good general manager and a good scouting staff is going to find a way to exploit this draft in a way that some teams may just punt on it because they're like, eh, we, we can't do anything. They didn't play. Yeah. You know, it's, it's going to be the teams. I think the, the teams that are really going to find success this year are the teams with really strong model modeling for, you know, the, the, the analytics that are used for the draft. I mean, most teams have their own person that has their own thing that, you know, they, are sure is the right thing. And, and, and in some cases they're very good. Um, so, you know, so that'll be interesting to see. I think that the teams that, that had more scouts that had experience with video scouting and were more comfortable with video scouting are going to have an advantage. Um, teams that had a lot of boots on the ground that had a big enough staff to cover a lot of games live. That is going to matter a lot. I think general managers that have faith in their amateur scouting staff, are going to have a better time as well because GMs like to see the players they draft too. They just don't get to do it very much. And sometimes that can really make all the difference in the world and whether a team takes a player or not. And so, you know, I think almost the general managers have to somewhat remove themselves from the process a little bit because it's even harder for them to do the work now. Um, We'll see. I think a lot of GMs and, and head scouts and, and higher level scouts will be at the, world under 18 championship in a couple of weeks. And that is going to be, you know, the, the last little bit of a proving ground for players to get in front of the top decision makers and not just the area scouts. So, you know, you want somebody that's, that's really comfortable in the reports that they, that they can generate and things like that. Um, so, so I, I do think that there, we are going to look back at this draft and we're going to say, wow, what a, what a haul, you know, or, or geez, they got nothing out of this, you know, and it just comes down to which teams, worked 
it's not even about the teams that work the hardest. It's just the teams that work the smartest in this year, in this year, because it, you can go to go to a lot of games or you can watch every shift of a player. If you want with the video technology that's available, you can just watch by shift if you want and, and, and spend an hour and just watch like three games. So, you know, I think that that's, that's kind of, uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see who, who benefits most from that. And, and I, I don't have any idea of which staff that's going to be. I think that there are a lot of, a lot of staffs out there that are just hoping and that, the, that they find a way through this. And, and a lot of them that are, can't wait to get to next year. You can make judgments on which staffs those are on your own. You can imply which ones you think those are on your own time. I'm not going to say anything. So let's talk about specific players uh, for you. Um, I don't want to, obviously you have a, a, a very important subscription service, so I don't want to entirely spoil it. But if you're giving me like a likelihood of who is a top five, top 10 pick, for some of these teams out there that desperately needed a Detroit's or whatever. It's so weird to say, I'm not talking about the Panthers. It's great. Uh, which <laughs> of those players who are you like, okay, he has a good likelihood of going number one. Cause even this year, if we were in a normal year, you might say it's pretty wide open. It's not the sort of quality of draft. We don't have a Lafreniere. We don't have a Jack Hughes type at the top of this draft as we've had in recent years. Right. Yeah. So we, we don't really have that, but what I think, I think that the guy that continues to be, zeroed in on as, as as the likeliest number one pick um it, it's still owen power from the university of michigan six foot five defenseman great mobility excellent hockey sense i think he got better and better as the year went on i think there was a little bit of a lull at the beginning of the season as he was adjusting to college hockey where you know you could kind of see some of the holes in his game but i think he cleaned a lot of that up as the season wore on i, I thought he was playing his best hockey at the end of the year. And then unfortunately Michigan at the national tournament had a positive COVID case and their season was over before they could play for a national championship. So they did reach the big 10 championship game. Power played big time minutes. He played in high leverage situations. He was out there to protect leads. He was out there against tough matchups. So I, I, I still think that because of, you know, the size, the mobility, the skill, you know, he's not, he's not necessarily going to be a 40, 50 point defenseman immediately. I do think that's in his future. You know, I, he's, he's kind of like some people want to compare him to Victor Hedman because of the size. Uh, others have said, you know, Miro Heiskanen. Um, I think that there's a lot of, you know, that there, there's, there's certainly some validity to both of those comparisons, but it's certainly, you know, he's, he's not at the level of either of those players in, in my opinion, but I still think that he's the guy that makes the most sense and has the most, you know, the most tools and the, the, the best ceiling to potentially project as, as a long-term number one defenseman and therefore something that's really valuable to an NHL team. Those go some other ones. I'm just going to give you some names. Sure. That my co-host was uh, – he wanted to talk – another Michigan because one of the things I, I learned quickly for this draft was everybody played at Michigan for some reason. It's great. <laughs> Why do I have to think about Michigan? I'm already in, enough thinking about how Jawan Howard got angry at Mark Turgeon. That's my life during March. I don't want to have to think about them from another sport. Until Maryland beats them in football, of course. Uh, uh, Kent Johnson, what about him? Well, Kent Johnson's a magician. I mean, he's 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 an incredibly skilled player. I think you know he's got a chance to sneak into the top five of this draft. Um, you know, he's he's uh, he's a natural center that played primarily on the wing this year. I think he's probably more likely a wing at the next level. You want to maximize his offensive tools, and uh, you know, I, I think his play away from the puck is 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 average at best, but. But what he does when he does have the puck on his stick is, you know, he's a guy that can gain the zone real easily. He's a guy that can make plays once he gets in the offensive zone. He uses the whole zone. Um, he's not afraid to take pucks to the middle. He he has the the skill to back defenders down, and he's a guy that you have to be aware of. And 
Um, you know, I, I've, I've said this before, but, it, you know, in, in practice, the Strauss man, the goaltender who was uh, uh, the goaltender for, for Michigan was talking about, you know, early in the year in practice, they had so much time to practice because the season was delayed. And, you know, he, he quickly learned that, you know, everybody that was coming in on them had, you know, on, on different rush drills had maybe one or two things that they could do with the puck and that, that Kent Johnson had about five or six things that he could do with it. Um, so, you know, he's a smart kid. He's a smart player. He's, uh, he's, he's very skilled in, in all facets when he has the puck on his stick. And, and I just think that, you know, he's, he's the kind of guy that you buy tickets to see because you're just waiting to see what he's going to do next. And um, I don't know that we had a, as entertaining a puck handler in, in college hockey since Johnny Gaudreau. So uh, that was, he, he, was, he was really, he, he had some real highlight, real plays, and I, he's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, another question. It's about goaltending. Sure. Um, we had two straight first-round goalies that went very high with Spencer Knight and Yaroslav Askarov. You don't usually see that, um, but he wanted to ask about Jesper Wallstead, who maybe, because this draft is bizarre, could end up getting there. Do you think that that's a possibility? It is. It is. I think we actually have two goalies that could potentially go really high in this draft, um, and, and Wallstead's one of them. So, you know, there's not a lot of precedent for what he's done this season. Now, I don't have either goalie in my top ten. Um, just to say that straight out, because that I'll have my draft rankings out this week, and you know, if people want to check them out, please do. But the I don't have either of them in the top ten, but they're they're both pretty high, and they're both first rounders. Um, so uh, you've got Wallstead, who who's you know played a ton of games this year at the U twenty level. He's not been used as much uh, in the playoffs, so we're not getting a chance to see him in those high leverage situations. He didn't get used in the biggest games of of the of the World Juniors either, which was kind of disappointing. I think he was the better goalie on the team quite frankly. Uh, but he is so technically sound. He's got the size. He's, you know, he's, he's very fluid. And, and, you know, I think they're the, the nice thing about the technology, the video technology is, is I can watch every single shot against that he faced this year. And, and, you know, you start to pick apart a couple of things here and there about his game. I think sometimes his hockey sense wanes a little bit. And there are a few other things that, you know, I think his, his puck handling abilities are not, you know, incredibly good. Um, but, but he's, you know, when it comes to stopping pucks, he's very efficient and very effective. Um, had decent numbers this year, but again, he, there aren't many guys that play as U19 goalies uh, in the Swedish Hockey League at the top division and play as, as much as he has. I think, you know, the most recent guys were, um, you know, Jacob Markstrom and, and Philip Gustafsson. Those were the guys that kind of were, were peers in terms of the amount that they played. Uh, but yeah, so he's, he's really special. And then the other guy is Sebastian Casa who plays for the Edmonton Oil Kings. He hasn't lost the game in the WHL yet this year and has over a 930 save, save percentage. And he's a six foot six goalie that is as quick a six foot six goalie as I've ever seen. So I'm really, I'm really excited about his skill set. He's not, you know, I think where, where Wallstead is technically sound, uh, Casa can be a little bit more chaotic. But at the same time, I think that the foundation of skills that he has, the size that he has, and the quickness that he has is what makes him a really interesting guy as a potential number one. I think he's the one that you say, okay, we need to play it a little bit safer with him just because of the style that he plays. But, but I think there are going to be teams that are really intrigued by what he has to offer. And especially with the success that he's had at the WHL level this year. How do they compare, I guess, to Askarov and Knight? Or they might not be necessarily at that level, but they're clearly ones that you could, could, you could see going in a, you know, in a lottery pick. And yeah. with a team like Seattle in the mix, and you, you really have – I mean, we know what Ron Francis likes, but, you know, they might need somebody like that. So, you know, they could do it too. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be a little more surprised to see Seattle go 
high risk on their first ever pick, but I, but I do think, but it's say they got multiple first rounders, then Probably there's a real, will. yeah, there's a real good chance. Right. So um, I, I would say it's kind of funny. Like, like Wallstead is, is, is the, is Knight and Casa is, is Askarov in, in the, in the, in terms of stylist, their styles, um, you know, but, but I, I do think that, you know, Askarov and Knight are in a class above these two guys, but they're, if they're first round goalies for me, um, it has to be pretty special. And I, I view them as, as in that special tier of, of goaltending prospect where, you know, I think enough teams now are, are, are trying to find the guys that, that are going to be that goalie of the future for them. And they're not as afraid to use that first round draft pick because, they're really hard to find. Um, sometimes you just find them randomly too. So it's, it's, it's kind Trager. of, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just weird how it works out. So, you know, the guys that you sign or whatever, but, but I think that, you know, if you're a team, especially a team with multiple draft picks, I think, you know, they're, they're guys that you don't want to wait on. I think Wallstead will be the first to go and then Casa probably not terribly far behind that. And then I think it'll be a long time before we see another goalie picked. So a couple of others before we uh, wrap this up, just a couple of other players that you personally want to talk about, guys who you think, okay, you, you got to keep your eye out for him when he's taken. Watch out for him in a top 10. Watch out for him maybe making a push. Yeah, you know, I think one of the guys that, that, I, that I'm really intrigued by, and, and, you know, he's another top guy, very well could challenge for the number one overall slot. Um, and we're staying with Michigan because <laughs> we've talked about the other two guys, so I'd feel bad if I didn't talk about this one who I think at least has a little bit of potential to, to, to be the number one guy, um, you know, of, of the three of them. And that's Maddie Beneers who, who played for team USA at the world juniors this year. He, he's more of a, you know, Patrice Bergeron, Jonathan Taves type. So it's not necessarily the, the, the skill that wows you. It's the all around game um, because he does have skill. He does have speed. He's, he's a strong individual. He's about six foot one. Uh, he's one of the best defensive centers in this draft on top of being a guy that can put up points. I mean, he was over a point a game or was a point a game at Michigan this year, despite being also one of their best and most reliable defensive centers and could be in any kind of matchup. The reason I like him so much is because he impacts the game in so many more ways than most of the forwards in this draft. So he's got the production, he's got the defensive ability, but it's just the, the general competitiveness that he plays with throughout the course of a game. The fact that he's, so quick to on pucks and he's, he's so dogged in, in, in his ability to, to, to hound defenses and just make them really difficult on them and, and to do the same on opposing forwards. I just think that he's the kind of guy that you can win games with. He's the kind of guy that will help you in the playoffs. Um, and he doesn't have that prototypical number one overall Patrick Kane and, and like even like Ryan Nugent Hopkins like skill level. But what he does is he just he, he is such a, a, a an absolute monster in, to play against, and I, I you know I considered him over power you know for the number one slot. So spoiler alert: if you don't subscribe to Hockey Sense yet, you know you're getting the number one pick for me is Owen Power, but number two is Matty Beneers, and and it's really tight between those two for me. Do you have any others? Um, Europeans, because I have to ask about <laughs> Europeans. Otherwise, I might not be able to do the podcast again if I don't do that. Yeah. Um, he, he, again, we talk a lot about defensemen. He likes a couple. Um, Simon Edmondson, he's mentioned to me. There's others that he's mentioned to me. I'm not going to mention all of them. You can find it on, uh, on, on Y Hockey's Twitter. He'll have a draft rankings up soon. But uh, he likes William Eklund. That's winger. He's, he's told me about. So what are some mm-hmm. European guys you should keep your eyes out on? 
Yeah, well, certainly Eklund. I, I think, you know, he's, he's played at such a high level in the SHL. He's a top-line player already at 18 years old and, you know, trusted in all situations. He's scored some big goals for Drew Garden this year. Uh, really like his overall skill set and, and, and speed. I think, uh, um, you know, you mentioned Simon Edvinson. I, you know, I've, I'm a little bit lukewarm on him in terms of uh, being a top 10 prospect. I think that he's he's got a little more rounding out to do. I think there's a lot of raw ability there, like his mobility and size. And, you know, I think there's some some good skill there. I think he can even add a little bit more to that. Um, I think one of the intriguing Swedes that's kind of a little more under the radar is Isaac Rosen who uh, has been <laughs> – he's, he's just a spark plug. He's great speed, incredible release. He gets to the middle of the ice really well, really good in transition. You know, I think he's the kind of guy that you know, teams look for in that, that late first or mid first that can kind of fill the middle, middle six kind of guy that can, you can use in a lot of different ways. He's really exciting to me. There are some really great Russians this year. I think Nikita Chibrikov is, is the top Russian um, you know, he's, he's got tons of skill, played in the KHL this year uh, as, a, as a younger guy, you know, was, was able to produce a little bit. So I, I'm, I'm fascinated by him. Uh, Prokhor Poltapov um, is another one where just really great skill, kind of a, a speedy, gets behind you. He's a sneaky scorer, which, is, which I like. And then one of the uh, kind of he's, – he's been – talked about as a first round candidate quite a bit this year is Stanislav Svosel from the Czech Republic. And I've been watching a lot of his games. And, and interestingly enough, you know, uh, among Czech, Czech players, so he, he appeared in 71 Czech games at the pro division before he, you know, he was 16 when he started in the league. So as a U18 player he played in 71 games, and I think that's fifth all time. And he's tied with Yarmir Yager for that, you know, so this is a guy that's been playing at a high level as a teenager, he doesn't have a lot of production. If you're scouting off the box score, he's not going to be a guy that jumps out at you. But if you watch him play, you see that there's a lot of skills there. He's a really good skater. I think he finds the open ice well, makes really good passes. His shot could use a little bit of work and can get it off a little bit better at times. But he's one of those guys where it's like, hey, you know, if he wasn't playing against men, that might actually work. So uh, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty fascinated by, you know, his skill set. Um, and what he can do. So uh, we'll, we'll have to see what happens with him developmentally, but he's a really interesting player that I think, you know, you should start paying attention to from the, the mid first on down, because I think he could bring some value to an organization. And as we wrap this up, it's weird for me to say, Hey, that could be a Panthers pick because mid first round on down <laughs> is a thing. Now that never happens. Usually they're picking 13th in every draft. Uh, that's not happening this year. It's great that I get to say that uh, again, we don't want to spoil everything because we want you to, get the money you deserve for the good hard work you do where can people find your work chris yeah well thanks Matt. Uh, the uh the the best place to find it right now is at hockeysense.substack.com uh draft rankings come out friday uh so april 16th um and yeah i've got uh, a, a lot on that and then uh, also have my podcast talking hockey sense where we'll uh cover a bunch of different things uh including the draft and lastly, just on Twitter, at Chris M. Peters. So, yeah, but, but Substack is, is where it's at, and, and it's hockeysense.substack.com. And, yeah, really appreciate it for the, you allowing me to give a plug for it because I've had a lot of fun doing it. And it's just been, uh, you know, there's gonna, just going to be a ton of draft coverage from here all the way through and, and uh, a lot of in-depth coverage of the under-18 worlds as well. 
who among us does not have a sub stack at this point? Because <laughs> we, we yeah. do. I mean, we don't write on it as much as we should, but we have a sub stack. It's, it's, it's great. I have to get you out here one question. Um, briefly, he wanted to ask about this too. Um, the Panthers trade Sam Bennett for Sam Bennett. They give up Emil Haneman immediately. Uh, did you? I, I don't normally think, oh, that you're going to give up a 2020 prospect in a 2021 trade deadline. Was that surprising to you that, that, that the Panthers might do that? Um, I mean, a little bit. Like, you know, I, I wasn't particularly high on Heineman last year. Um, I think he's been fine. You know, he's, he's a good player. Uh, it's certainly, you know, you don't want to give up on guys too quickly. But at the same time, I don't think they're really giving up on him. They, they basically were in a position where it's like, hey, if we want to get Sam Bennett, who has been an absolute animal in the postseason, we're going to have to give up something of value. And I think Heineman was a, that kind of player. And the, and the Flames desperately need more prospects in their system. Their system's improved. But I, I, I don't think, based on everybody else that's in the system right now, I don't think that one's going to hurt too much long term. Um, so I, I just felt like that was one of those cost doing business deals where, you know, you, you had to give up something of value to get a player like Sam Bennett back, even though, you know, Sam Bennett, not, not necessarily a big time producer, certainly not in the regular season, but man, he's the kind of guy that can really help in the postseason. And I think that's a price worth paying when, when you're, when you're chasing a cup, you don't get many opportunities like the one that's staring uh, Florida in the face right now with how good they've been this year. So um, certainly miss Ekblad and, and all that, but at the same time, I mean, you got to go for it, and I think that was a go for it trade. Lord willing, thank you again, Chris. And we don't know that people are following you anyway. So, <laughs> well, if they're if they're following my husband, they're definitely following you. I would think so. Thanks again for coming on. It's been a great pleasure. My pleasure too, Matt. Thanks a lot. <laughs>